Now if going to Corona, you'll be asking me so many questions. Baldo <laughs> Radio. <laughs> <laughs> Hello! What is up, you guys? Thank you for tuning in with Bubble Radio. This is your host, Canon, and my goal in this podcast is to bring you valuable information through talks and interviews with fitness experts such as athletes, researchers, coaches, and so on. On this episode, which is the second episode of Bubble Radio, I got to speak with Dr. Jeremiah Stanley, who is an MD and also a PhD candidate looking at viruses at Yukama City University in Japan. Now, we discussed thoroughly about the gut microbiome, which plays a vital role in regulating metabolic function and energy balance, as well as managing the immune system and so much more. He connects gut health with exercise and discusses some recent studies on how exercise affects the gut independent of diet. Also, we will be able to hear some information about the coronavirus, which I'm sure a lot of listeners are very curious about. Now, I will link all the studies that we discussed today in the description of this episode of the podcast. Now, that's enough for me, and let's get into the interview. <laughs> about our radio. Mm. Okay, so we have a very special guest today. <laughs> Hello, Jerry. Hi, Kanan. How are you today? Mm, doing good. <laughs> Genki desu. Genki desu. Mm. We just took a very small walk to what is the temple called? Ah, it's uh, Shomyoji. Shomyoji. Mm, Kanazawa Bunko. It's one of the peaceful places. Yes. Mm. And we, it was about maybe 20 minute walk over there, right? Yep. Mm. You yeah. don't you, you you kind of expect a natural uh, scenery in center of the city. You exactly. Don't, right? mm. And it was like a nice garden and it had a nice bridge mm. and lots of you fe- fish. You, yeah. you fed popcorn to the fish. Yes. And there were turtles as well. Okay, so before we get into the real topic today of what we're going to be talking about, I just want to provide uh, the educational background of Jerry. Please interrupt me if I'm wrong. I took this completely out of his Facebook page. But Jerry uh, completed his bachelor's degree in medicine at PSG Institute of Medical Sciences and Research in India. So far, so good. Yeah. Yep. Go <laughs> okay. on. You're also, good to go. And then he continued his uh, uh, his MD. He completed his MD specializing in microbiology at Christian Medical College in Bellore in India. And currently Jerry is uh, involved in some research at Yokohama City University uh, specifically on viruses. Now, I just want you to give, uh, before we get into the topic of the microbiome, I just want you to um, please mention some of the uh, the overview of some studies that you've been involved in. Oh, thanks for the nice introduction, <laughs> Kanan. <laughs> okay, yeah, so I'm doing my PhD here at Yokohama City University. And my topic of research is about HIV. Mm-hmm. And, you know, HIV is the... Is it like a global pandemic, a sexually transmitted disease with no cure? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of my study uh, is about finding a cure for HIV. So that's like sounds too dramatic. Yeah. But yeah, maybe. <laughs> it maybe. sounds like a very broad topic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so uh, if you know about HIV, it's like kind of different from other uh, viruses. Mm-hmm. So HIV kind of 
puts its DNA into the human DNA. Right. So it kind of mixes the virus DNA to the human DNA. So that's a big problem that we have. So my research is about uh, how to, uh, you know, how to segregate the virus DNA from the human DNA. And is there any specific medicines or factors that can uh, stop the virus from mixing with the DNA? So it's all about, uh, you know, the viral DNA and separating it from the human DNA. Right, thank you. And you know, uh, me and Jerry also hang out. You know, we go to the gym together as well. And I've heard a lot of interesting things from Jerry about his studies. I kind of get intimidated going to gym with you, (laughs) (laughs) No need. Anyways, well, I just want to get into, slowly get into the topic. But before we go um, dive into the discussion of the microbiome, I just want you to give a brief introduction of what it actually is and what, why is it that uh, to think about the microbiome, why, how, why is it so important? Okay, microbiome. So, <laughs> Big question, right? Yep. So microbe actually. So before I go into microbiome, let mm-hmm. me tell you about microbe. Okay. Microbe is any organism or any uh, any living thing that is not visible to your naked eye. That's like microorganism. So mm-hmm. microbe. So most people think like a microbe is always kind of a, you know a dangerous one. Yes. Or something that is bad. Mm-hmm. So that's totally wrong because uh, the whole world is full of microbes and there's a lot of a lot of microbes which are really good to us so you know like we love enjoying a beer or a wine yes so this wine and beer or whiskey or whichever drink that you have how did you get it you got it from grapes or barley mm-hmm. or wheat or whatever so or potatoes so you the microbes kind of ferment them and give you this drink so aren't they good yeah yeah and also you have yogurt Mm -hmm. you have natto all these are like delicious food which you get only because of the microbes so microbes are actually doing a lot of favor to us and we are kind of coexisting with them right so sorry just to interrupt why do you think uh that we build this really bad name of micros throughout I think it's because of um, the ones that cause disease. Right. So those are like uh, getting the bad name for all the other microbes too. Mm-hmm. Because we take this the, the beneficial microbes for granted. We just don't know or we just turn a blind eye yeah. to this uh, the, the good microbes in your yogurt or in your natto. So you just think it's yogurt, yes. it's natto. You don't see the bacteria behind the, behind. Uh, the beneficial effects of that right. but when you get a disease like a flu or a diarrhea mm-hmm. or, a, or or something like malaria or anything you think okay it's a microbe so that's why you you think like a microbe is always a bad one right and yeah. it but it is in uh, in fact it is doing us uh, very good right yes and without it we you said yes it's like we are coexisting with the mm-hmm. microbes and going back to the question of <laughs> your microbiome, microbiome. <laughs> okay okay the microbiome consists of like millions of organisms mm-hmm. and the, the number of organisms the microorganisms actually outnumber the number of cells in your body wow so these organisms are like different different kinds of a variety of organisms mm-hmm. and they all live together yep and kind of 
coexist with you and give a beneficial effect to you together of course there are some bad ones some uh, rotten apples in a basket so you have some kind of microbes in the microbiome which don't offer any benefit or sometimes they offer uh, kind of some bad side effects or right. something so but it's a proportion you you have to have like many types of bacteria viruses and fungi together mm -hmm. and these all live in your intestines right it's called as a gut microbiome mm -hmm. and these really help in your everyday functions right mm. and when we do say gut what do we include like you said the the intestines right mm -hmm. and the small intestines and the colon as well right yeah the gut is actually starting from your mouth till your the, the, the anal cavity okay. so uh, anything in between so usually the micro microbiome mm -hmm. kind of resides in the intestines the small right. and the large intestines the stomach is very acidic and uh, anything about the stomach is so transient so right. these are not of much importance but yes. after the stomach from the small intestine and the large intestine you have a millions of uh, microorganisms mm -hmm. functioning together right. and helping us out so this is called as a microbiome okay yeah. and the microbiome i know has become like an attention of research almost nowadays mm. and why do you think why why do you think that this is so important for us to research that? yeah so you know we humans uh we just think like we are the the superior species on yes. the planet uh -huh. and we can live alone we can form our own ecosystems right you know? but it's it's not that uh, the microbiome proves that mm -hmm. you need the microbes for you to live right. so research for the past 10 years i think there is a lot of uh, since the past 10 years mm -hmm. i think there is a lot of uh, importance on this microbiome and we are kind of unearthing bits and pieces of information right. we are just scratching the surface yet but as far as I know, like the studies say, like your microbiome is helpful in keeping your uh, keeping your immunity, mm -hmm. in your exercise ability, right. in your uh, a good mental health, yes, and even fighting other infections. Mm -hmm. So it has a lot of beneficial functions and lot more to be identified yeah and uh i thought it was very interesting about what you we talked about during lunch about the connection between microbiome and the brain as well right there seems yes, to be yes, some sort yes. of connection so this is called as a gut microbiome axis uh -huh. so we often say we have a gut feel right right so maybe it's the microbiome that's thinking <laughs> for us you know that's crazy <laughs> it sounds very weird but it, i guess it makes sense um also i just want to know what are some things that uh, we can do to influence uh positively influence our microbiome by through diet like what are some things that we can do so when every everyone is born when we are an infant we just uh, when we are just born we have very limited number of microbes in our gut so the microbiome is also just born so it has to grow with us so everybody acquires a unique signature a unique uh, pattern of microbiome um, inside themselves mm. and this is acquired by uh, through your diet right. or even through your exercise 
so and this kind of grows with you and it forms uh, a unique pattern of uh, a unique microbial pattern in your guts okay that's pretty interesting what are some um specific foods like you mentioned fermentable foods yeah. inc- help increase the yeah so as far as we know uh these fermented foods like yogurt mm-hmm. and uh, like natto and any other like uh, the good fermented foods uh, they kind of positively right. um, um, improvise the gut microbiome mm-hmm. and fatty rich foods like okay. you, you you have like processed foods with you know lots of oils and fats right they kind of negatively mm-hmm. uh, uh, negatively influence the microbiome Right. So the change in diet through the generation must be a lot of, you know, Yeah, it's a serious thing, you know. But I don't know, we will be knowing uh whatever is it the, the changes in microbiomes, we'll be knowing only like after a decade or so. That's true. Mm-hmm. And what do you think about the as you mentioned processed food? We're eating less of for example like fiber and stuff, you know, vegetables and fruits. Yes. Do you think that is affecting the gut as well? Yes yes you know there was a recent study about uh, the white compound in your mayonnaise okay that kind of kills the good microbes in your microbiome oh so <laughs> you, you, you can see like how each and every um, everything you eat yes. has a small uh, effect on the microbiome and you eat it like every day it's going to affect you know you you can see the results in the long run mm-hmm. um as you said the the fiber rich foods mm-hmm. they kind of uh, uh, the, the natural the unprocessed and fiber rich foods they kind of positively uh, influence the microbiome mm-hmm. while the uh, while the processed foods kind of right. negatively influence that right okay that's very interesting it, it uh, reminds us that we have to be mm-hmm. careful or aware of what we're putting in our mouth right of course yes. of course yeah Okay, and also you just mentioned about the foods, the dietary factors that um, influence the microbiome. But today, Jerry <laughs> might address a little bit about the uh, the effect of exercise on the on the gut. And I just want to um, introduce two studies that we've been discussing. Yes, <laughs> right? yes, bring it on. Okay, um, so one study, it was done in 2017, both studies in 2017. One of them, they transplanted a fecal material, so from a material from the stool, from an exercise and sedentary mice, so exercise and non-exercise mice, into the colons of uh, sedentary germ-free mice. And they found out that there was a clear difference between those receiving microbes from the exercise and the non-exercise mice. And then the second study that we've also discussed was a human study. And it was tracking the change in the compositions of microbiota in human participants as, you know, they transition from a non-exercise state to an, ec- to an active lifestyle. They found out that the fecal con- concentration of exercised and non-exercised uh, subjects were completely different and they could definitely uh, what is it they could definitely see them tell them apart yeah uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I I can see you're still fascinated about these studies <laughs> okay the the essence of the study is about like exercise mm-hmm. by itself alters the microbiome in a favorable way yes so the first study you said was like there were a group of mice which were 
exercised. So they put the mice in a box with a with a wheel, and they were running on the wheel. Mm-hmm. And then there was another mice, uh, another group of mice in another box where they were just feeding it mm-hmm. and didn't allow it to run around. So they took the microbes from the exercised mice. They took the microbes from the the sedentary mice, put it into uh, a germ-free mice, right? And uh, they found out that the germ-free mice, which got the um, which got the microbes, mm-hmm. microbiome of the exercised mice, they were like kind of protected to many inflammations of the intestine. Right. Okay. They they kind of had an immunity to intestinal inflammations, whereas the ones which did not exercise mm-hmm. and the and the mouse which got them, yeah. they were kind of susceptible to inflammations. Right. So this study really shows that, like, it shows two things. One, exercise by itself can alter your microbiome in a beneficial way. Mm-hmm. And number two, the benefit studied here is that the exercise-induced microbiome protects you from inflammation. So it strengthens your immunity. Right. So this was a mouse study. And then the human study that you said, it was almost the same way. So mm-hmm. they took like exercised humans, they took like sedentary humans and they found their ability to withstand intestinal inflammation. So they got the same results as that of the, uh, the mice study. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, we didn't have this data. But, uh, but now, you know, the, the, the science is like de- developing at a rapid pace. So we'll be, we'll be unearthing new information every day, maybe. You, you should keep, uh, keep track of that. Definitely. Yeah. And I will link uh, both of these uh, researches in the description. And um, also, you've also sent me some studies about exercise increasing the microbial diversity. Right? Yes. What is it? I'm just wondering, like, um, by microbial diversity, you're increasing the good bacteria as well as the bad bacteria, right? So what does it mean to... Why is it good to have a large diversity? Uh, You know, everything runs on diversity. Um, So it's, it's... You can never say it's a good bacteria or a bad bacteria. You should have the uh, composition correct. So... The microbial diversity of the microbiome kind of governs its activity and this diversity should be maintained at a proper proportion. Right. So if the proportion of bacteria A should be like 25% and bacteria B should be 10% and bacteria X should be like 1% and that kind of offers a, uh, a good effect. Right. So if you kind of skew up these ratios it becomes, uh, uh, it becomes the, you know, it becomes bad. Mm-hmm. So, exercise or food kind of maintains the proportions. Right. So it's like you should have uh, the right proportion of each bacteria. So uh-huh. there's nothing like good bacteria and wrong bacteria. Right. It becomes bad only if you mess up with these proportions. Okay. So is it fair to say, sorry if this is a stupid question, but is it fair to say that uh, it is also important for us to eat diverse, uh, different kinds of foods to increase different kinds of bacteria? Like, well, it's, like so. I said, you know, <laughs> we're still not, not aware to. of so much things. Right. But we just know that we should eat the, the good type of food to keep the, the diversity, uh, the, the proportion right. Okay. 
And, and one more study, you know, I'd like to point out, you know, uh, maybe after the two studies. Yeah. This one is a very specific study about exercise. Okay. What the scientists did was they took the microbe called Velonella. Mm-hmm. So Velonella is like the maybe the best microbe of the microbiome identified so far. Ooh. So uh, it's found in higher concentration in athletes. Okay. So this is a significant association that we know. So the scientists try to check this hypothesis. Is Velonella uh, required for athletic performance? Mm-hmm. So what they did was they took uh, the microbes from trained athletes right. and they took it and placed it inside the uh, intestine of mice. Mm-hmm. So the mice which got Velonella, yeah. they ran on treadmills for longer time than mice which did not have Velonella. So you can see here. That, That's crazy. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's just like we just entered into this realm, mm-hmm. new realm of microbiome and uh, exercise or athletic or fitness. So there is something called as the Athletic Microbiome Project, which is going on, and we would maybe we will get to know more microbes, or we we might get to know the right combination. So anybody could be Usain Bolt. (laughs) 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 We were just talking about this earlier that it might be a form of uh, doping or something like that. But hey, you never know. Things, you know, things may come up. Okay, so maybe this is like a great segue to move into the discussion of something that you're more specialized in, which is the study of viruses and the immune system. And from those three studies, it's fair to say that exercise alone has a positive effect on the gut microbiome, which then can influence the immune system. So there is already like an indirect link between exercise and the immune system. Maybe you can tell us some of more of the direct ways in which exercise can affect uh, immunity. So there are studies which show that exercise um, improves the hormones. The hormones, we have a lot of hormones. Mm -hmm. So this is totally away from the microbes. So hormones is like secreted by different kinds of cells in the body. So you've got like different types of hormones say mm-hmm. like growth hormones insulin yeah insulin testosterone estrogen mm-hmm. and there's serotonin and endorphins and there's so many yeah and you need to have a right balance of these hormones to be in a good uh, state of mind or be in a good uh, uh, in a state of well-being mm-hmm. so ex- studies have shown that exercises yep um bring about this balance of hormones right so you know you feel like really the serotonin for example is a happy hormone it keeps you happy and the same thing is is uh, at same thing is for endorphins and enkephalins right. so these are the hormones which uh, give you a sense of well-being mm-hmm. so it's shown that exercise kind of regulates these hormones right. so that's why you know after a good workout you feel refreshed yes. and you feel fit you feel happy mm-hmm. and Energized. these hormones yes in turn control the immune cells really so exercises not only makes you happy right through these hormones it kind of makes your immunity better now that's really cool actually because i did know that exercise does affect your hormones 
but I didn't know how those hormones actually influenced the immune system as well. So just um, to sum up on the things that we have talked about so far, we have discussed the importance of our gut and what we can do to improve our gut health through dietary factors such as fermented foods and dietary fiber. Now, Jerry, since you uh, specialize in viruses, it would be stupid for me to not talk about the coronavirus. Now, um, can you please give us a brief overview of what we currently know about the virus? Oh, the corona monster. Yeah, the corona monster. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the coronavirus. Okay. Um, the coronavirus, which is like uh, the really hyped virus right now mm-hmm. in the media, uh, we have to know that it's not a single entity. Yes. Uh, coronavirus per se means that it's a family of viruses. Mm-hmm. And what we have now is one of the members of the coronavirus. Okay. So this one is named now as SARS-CoV-2, S-A-R-S-C-O-V-2. So which means that there must be a CoV-1, right? Yeah. So uh, I guess you must be knowing about the SARS virus of 2003. Uh, that is also a coronavirus. And there was a MERS virus of 2012, which is also a coronavirus. So what we should be clear here is like coronavirus is a family of viruses. Just like you say a dog, uh, it has so many types of dogs. Like you have Labradors, you have Great Ship, you have Labradors, you have Great Danes, Mm -hmm. you have German Shippers, you have Poodles and Pomeranians. So just like that. Coronavirus family has so many types of coronaviruses. That is like the canine coronavirus of dogs, the feline coronaviruses, the bat coronaviruses, the human coronaviruses, and the SARS virus, the MERS virus. And the newest kid in the block is SARS-CoV-2, which is the present coronavirus. Yes. Okay, so what are the some of the statistics showing about the mortality rate? And maybe the transmission, like how uh, how often is it transmitted to other people? What are the statistics like? Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that this new SARS-CoV-2, mm-hmm. it started in December or late November or December in Wuhan okay. in China. Yeah. So when it first started as an outbreak, there was like a lot of commotion and then there was a lot of science going on there and then we got the statistics that around it kills around 2 to 2.5% of people that it infects but uh, recently now we see that uh, the, the mortality rate is slightly increased like it kills more than 3% of the people so if it if 100 people are infected 3 people are killed by the virus and uh, if we kind of break it down according to the age uh, it doesn't kill any children there's no reports of uh, SARS-CoV-2 killing any children uh, and uh, the, the statistics of people that die under 40 years of age is like 0.2 percent which means like uh, if among thousand infected people uh, only two people die if they are under the age of 40 but above the age of 40 and like uh, as the age increases uh, the mortality is higher why do you think so 
uh it's it's the answer is really obvious because you know the the uh the coronavirus affects the lung the the, the, the new coronavirus the SARS-CoV-2 mm-hmm. affects the lung and it causes a pneumonia mm-hmm. and uh, you know the old people as we get old our lung function kind of deteriorates and we also have a lot of other uh, other diseases like diabetes and hypertension and heart diseases you know so the old people are really fragile and vulnerable you know that's why the the, the mortality rate is higher in old people which is almost around 15% 14 to 15% right and Uh, you stated the estimate of the mortality rate, it could be around 3%. Is that including the population that doesn't report the virus as well? Mm, that's a good question. So the population that doesn't report the virus forms the denominator when you calculate the mortality rate. So if you kind of, if we think that there are a lot of people missed, mm-hmm. so and these people will come into the denominator the missed people so which means that it will kind of reduce the mortality rate right right yeah mm. so but but we go go with the statistics provided by the who the yes. world health organization or the centers for disease control cdc so according to these statistics so if we don't speculate much we believe these statistics because they are scientifically proven uh it's somewhere around or over three mm. and that is probably the most reasonable place to gather your information from because yeah, guys, where so else would you, you know? please please don't fall in for the misinformation don't fall for the misinformation uh always uh trust for credible sources and cdc mm-hmm or WHO. These are the two most credible sources which constantly update about the corona uh, virus outbreak. Okay. And you know how the spreading of information is crazy in this generation and it is very hard for us to know what is true information because obviously there are some false information about you know how dangerous it is like yeah, what no, can you say about this? No, the 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 mother of all false informations was like uh coronavirus is a bioweapon which was like you know people just buy it uh but uh, if we can uh what to say so if you can understand mm-hmm. the new SARS coronavirus 2 uh the genes or the the, the dna mm-hmm. of the new sars coronavirus 2 resembles very closely to the sars coronavirus 1 Okay. And also to the bat coronaviruses. So the most possible uh the most possible explanation for the origins of this virus would be like uh from the bats. Right. Yeah? So what we know as of now is like it started in Wuhan from the wet markets. So possibly the bats in the wet markets must have been infected. Mm-hmm. And uh Uh, we should know like that uh, we should know the fact that viruses evolve mm-hmm. so when two different kind of uh, animals meet so this virus would have been the viruses of the bats mm-hmm. uh when in the wet market the bats was exposed to other animals like like pangolins mm-hmm. uh like um snakes or dogs or whatever uh they might have mixed with the other viruses mm-hmm. from the other animals 
and then from these animals the virus has jumped to humans right. so this could be the most possible explanation not a bioweapon yeah. it's not engineered <laughs> there's some very interesting stories about it i've heard from some lady it's she's a gym member of a gym that i work at she said oh they were doing an experiment with bats in china and then the lab exploded and that's the <laughs> some funny stories right so if you want some credible piece of information you said you would go to the cdc which WHO. and and just to add up to this uh, story of your the gym friend yeah. um you know it's like uh, humans um anything new and anything unknown humans always react with fear right so maybe that is the main reason why people buy into this so i suggest people not to fall for misinformation not to be afraid mm. just check for credible sources cdc or who right okay and uh as you said the mortality is two percent up to three percent yes and but we kind of forget the fact that other viruses such as the seasonal flu Uh, a lot more people die from it and you know other viruses as well comparing the coronaviruses to other viruses is not as fatal as we might imagine and as you said uh things such as you know it's a new virus so we act a certain way about it is there anything else that could contribute the fact that we react that we respond to this virus in such a absurd crazy way or do you think it's just because it's a new virus or is it something specific that is special about this virus that we need to make a, a big deal about yeah that's a nice question so since you bought in this um, seasonal flu mm-hmm. uh, the seasonal flu has a mortality rate of around one percent mm-hmm. it's like three times lesser than the coronavirus mm-hmm. but uh, seasonal flu it's still a killer because it infects a lot of people mm-hmm. it infects millions i think last year there was about 20 million people infected by the seasonal flu right. uh, so if we consider the number of infections even a small percent of mortality mm-hmm. there will be a lot of people dying yes so if we extrapolate that to the coronavirus there is it's it's three time uh, bigger killer than the seasonal flu and uh, say for example uh, if th- there is a country with like 1 million people and there is coronavirus entering that country and it can kill uh, 3% so that's what's 3% of 1 million that's like around 30,000. Yes. Okay, so 30,000 is still a big, a big number. A big number. And uh, also there's like um, 80% of the corona infections uh the SARS-CoV-2 infections are are very are less severe. Mm-hmm. So they you don't need to treat them. It's just like a small common cold or a small flu. You have just a fever or a headache and then it just goes off. 80%. The remaining 20% of the people, they need some treatment. They need some treatment like maybe uh, supplementing oxygen or just some treatment in a hospital. So if the virus infects a million people, then there's like 20% of the million is like 200,000 people. Mm. 200,000 people need to be hospitalized. Yes. Do we have the infrastructure to hospitalize 200,000 people? 
new people over the already sick sick people mm-hmm. so th- i think that's why we have to be afraid of corona in it's it's more of a epidemiological mm-hmm. and uh health infrastructure issue than a personal issue right okay and just out of curiosity can you have the coronavirus but not even realize it yeah you can because the clinical manifestations of coronavirus vary from asymptomatic infection which is like you ju- you might be having but you just don't know that you're having it it doesn't affect you that's the least and to the the maximum is like severe pneumonia where there is lung damage and you have a respiratory distress where you develop shortness of breath you can't breathe enough and then that leads to like organ failure like yeah. kidney failure or liver failure uh compared to the people that might have the coronavirus but not have any symptoms compared to the 80% of people having the mild symptoms what are the difference between those populations like is it because they they are they have a strong immune system or is it because the uh the virus is not affecting them as much uh we never know about the virus host interaction but yeah. what we know is like uh the virus does not cause much damage in people less than 40 years of age mm. so it maybe it's due to the immunity okay the people mm. under 40 years are like have a strong immune system and they fight back the virus more efficiently and the more mortal uh, more mortality occurs with uh people over 40 and the maximum uh mortality is in people over 80 mm. so it's basically big uh, about it's about the ability of the people to fight these infections right. and again uh people who are a little bit older what population is in more in danger like people what kind of diseases do is the most dangerous to have that could be could lead to the death of the coronavirus like yeah i i can understand you it's like uh, the when people age people above 80 are the most vulnerable as i told earlier uh people above 80 all uh, already have some deterioration of their lung functions mm-hmm. okay so as you know the coronavirus causes pneumonia pneumonia is a disease of the lungs mm-hmm. where the virus goes inside the lungs and uh, lungs is the place where there is oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange so it takes in oxygen and sends out the carbon dioxide that's a that's a very basic process needed for living mm-hmm. right so the the virus the coronavirus goes inside it destroys your lung these mm-hmm. air pockets and it fills these air pockets with fluid so that there's no co- oxygen or no carbon dioxide exchange happening over there so um this causes a failure of the entire body mm. so there is a multi organ failure a yeah. systemic failure of the body and that's happens in people with less immunity right. in people older than 80 years mm, that does sound pretty scary in itself um let's move into some of the things that we can do to prevent ourselves from the virus uh what can we specifically do all right so the WHO mm-hmm. and the CDC they have observed the virus transmission dynamics okay and as of now the the virus can be transmitted by three ways one is through direct contact mm-hmm. so close contact as in 
like you and me sitting here together. So we are just talking, and mm-hmm. if one of us is infected, mm-hmm. the other other person is sure to get infected. Mm-hmm. So that's close contact. The second one is droplet. Right. Droplet is uh, the most significant or most common, uh, the most common way of transmission that's happening uh, because of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So any infected patient will have a cough. I mean the cough is a common symptom of this coronavirus. So when when a person coughs there's millions and millions of tiny droplets that come out of the that comes out of the patient. So each of these tiny droplets loaded with this coronavirus. Okay? And these droplets don't travel far. Mm-hmm. They just travel to the people surrounding you. Right. So in a train or in a meeting or in a in a bar or in a conference or a concert so where there is a lo- large gathering of people when one person is infected and he cough he or she coughs these droplets just go to the people nearby but you got to be kind of close to the person it can't be very very far away can the cough travel droplets travel far away uh, the, the, the droplets are kind of you know it's slightly bigger and they are kind of settle down with gravity mm. so maybe the dro- the droplets travel or maybe a maximum of 4 to 5 feet. Mm. So anybody in that radius can get infected. Right. So if you're in a closely packed mm. uh, uh, a hall or a play closely yeah. packed uh, a train, so these droplets can go and infect a lot of people okay. around you. I mean that's the main reason why uh, people yeah. are trying to shut down uh close down these common gatherings mm-hmm. the places where people can gather mm-hmm. that's why the concerts are cancelled you know the the the, the bars are yeah. shut down so that's the second way it's yeah. a droplet the third way of transmission is by fomites mm-hmm. fomites uh, means infected object right so when you cough or when you touch uh, when you touch your face or when you cough in your fingers or cough in your palms. Yeah. Uh your hand is loaded with the coronavirus. And with this hand you might open a door knob mm-hmm. or you might uh hold a handrail. You might hold uh, uh hold the you might hold the holders mm-hmm. in the train for your support. So you, unknowingly you will take the coronavirus on your hands mm-hmm. and from your hands you you touch these places mm-hmm. and uh, it has been reported that the coronavirus lives in these surfaces mm-hmm. for around 5 hours 5 hours 5 hours so 2 to 5 hours mm. so when you touch the handrail and then you may go mm-hmm. and there's another person who's going to touch the same handrail and that person after touching the handrail will be touching his nose picking his nose or you know touching his face rubbing from, their eyes rubbing well. their eyes as well so the virus from this it indirectly mm. through an inanimate object transfers to the third person mm. uh so i told you there's three ways to summarize mm-hmm. one is direct contact direct contact second one is droplets, droplets and third one, one is fomites yeah so these are the ways it tra- it get transmitted so and it's really common sense to prevent this mm-hmm. once you know the ways it's transmitted yeah can you list it out uh, how do you prevent contact you always you should always block your cough with your 
in an hour. Exactly. So, uh, so that's how you um, block the second mode of transmission droplets. So when you're getting a cough, you can either wear a mask mm-hmm. or do not cough on your fingers or palms. Yeah. Uh, the ideal recommended uh, way to cough is to cough in your elbows. Right. Okay, so that in that if we follow that, we can uh, prevent the droplet mm-hmm. spread, and then to prevent the contact spread, any infected patient mm. should avoid contact with others. Yeah. So if a person is diagnosed with corona, mm-hmm. he or she should stay in the house, and and make sure doesn't contact with other people. Mm-hmm. Please don't go out. Yeah. And then to prevent transmission by fomites, mm-hmm. we should always wash our hands with water or sanitizer. Um, don't um, they say just don't try to minimize uh, touching your face mm. and picking your nose or right. rubbing your eyes. What about alcohol? Can you actually cure the virus with alcohol itself? <laughs> I know this is a common misconception. Like people try to drink more alcohol to kill the virus. Yeah. Uh, do you? Uh, but that's you know that's really absurd because alcohol uh, is a disinfectant. Mm. So um, you we have alcohol sanitizers, mm-hmm. and that has around sixty percent of alcohol, mm-hmm. sixty to seventy percent. Okay. So um, this alcohol kind of dissolves the virus. Uh, the coat of the virus the outer coat of the virus and that's how it kills the virus Mm. so the alcohol will be effective outside the body so outside the body the virus is a small particle Mm -hmm. when it's exposed to alcohol that is above 60 percent then it definitely kills the virus Mm. kills the SARS-CoV-2 but inside your body, the virus is already inside your cells. It's yeah. not gonna kill. <laughs> so please don't, please don't drink alcohol, thinking that it'll kill coronavirus. It's an excuse to drink. And more. please don't buy vodka or whiskey and apply it on your skins because Aww. I've heard this. I heard some people do this. Please don't do that because only alcohols which are above sixty percent, sixty to seventy percent. They are effective in killing the virus. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. I understand. Okay. It's very interesting. And also about, I've heard a little bit of uh, information about uh, masks and its prevention of viruses. How effective is using the, the mask? Good question. So the mask that we get commonly in our stores, mm-hmm. these are the, the ordinary surgical masks. So... These have small pores Mm -hmm. by which they filter the air that you breathe. Mm -hmm. The pores are actually much bigger than the coronavirus itself. Mm -hmm. But the pores are much smaller than the droplets. Right. Right. So it makes more sense if an infected person covers his face or his uh, mouth uh, with mask and he coughs inside the masks. Mm -hmm. So that will kind of reduce the number of droplets going around right okay uh, but uh, so when the number of droplets going around reduces the number of uh, infections mm. number of people it can be tran- transmitted also reduces mm. but people who are wearing the masks 
the the healthy people who are wearing the masks uh, they might not be as much benefited mm. you know because the coronavirus that has passed through the infected person's mask mm-hmm. can easily pass through the healthy person's mask but still it's i personally think it's it's okay mm. it's okay but there are still mixed uh, uh mixed uh, observations about this but one the credible thing is it reduces the transmission from the infected person mm-hmm. so what you just mentioned the mask can prevent uh cannot prevent the virus penetrating through the mask but they can prevent droplets coming in and out of the mask is that a clear understanding yes okay. exactly okay yeah but uh you know but still there is some kind of a gray area about it but uh, unless proven otherwise or until proven wrong it's definitely good to wear a mask okay and a weird question what do you think about the toilet paper <laughs> running out of toilet paper what is that what do you think <laughs> i think that's really absurd you know because it's not only in japan though it's in australia as well i guess this was a uh, a post or a tweet okay. which was raised by somebody yeah. uh, if i'm not wrong this person tweeted saying that china manufactures masks and toilet papers and both of these products have the same raw material oh. since the world has a demand for masks china has stopped toilet paper production and diverted all those raw materials to produce a mask and soon we'll be expecting a shortage of toilet papers and that went viral and people are just panic buying and hoarding well the guy did a good unnecessarily, job unnecessarily right yeah mm. he did a very good job a- so people please don't panic please don't hoard toilet papers i mean it's it's really absurd man yeah <laughs> that's how information is used nowadays to scare people in a way uh so as of the 9th of march Yokohama City University, which you are a member of of the lab, have found out a way to detect antibodies inside uh, your blood, right? <laughs> Sorry, I cannot explain very clearly myself. Um, can you please like uh, give me some input about what you guys have been doing and what you guys have done? it's such a very interesting things that you, you know i could make this more interesting by saying it's classified <laughs> <laughs> please come on <laughs> but 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 uh, as a member of the team that we dev- that developed the uh, the diagnostic te- the test mm-hmm. uh, to detect antibodies mm-hmm. so any infection mm-hmm. any infection virus or bacteria or any any microbe infecting a body the body mounts an immune response to fight it mm-hmm. uh using antibodies okay antibodies are the body's uh defense system so likewise for the SARS-CoV-2 when we uh get this virus in the body the body mounts this immune response to produce specific antibodies to SARS-CoV-2 so this is present in the blood and when we extract the serum from the blood we can detect these SARS-CoV-2 antibodies that's exactly what our lab has done we have used uh, um ELISA and a, a a a card test just like your pregnancy test where mm-hmm. you dro- add a drop of urine and you get two lines it's a positive right so like that we have developed a test on serum so you add a drop of serum 
and we get two lines it's positive for coronavirus and it's just one line it's negative mm. so this test detects the antibody specific to coronavirus is it very accurate we are currently testing it mm-hmm. so right now we have a, a few corona patients sample mm-hmm. with us and in all of those samples that we tested the positives are flagging positive right and we also tested a number of negative samples mm-hmm. from normal healthy people and those are showing negative so we kind of proposed this as a screening test mm-hmm. where a patient with fever we can just collect the patient's blood and add a drop of the blood to the uh, test strip mm-hmm. and if the patient doesn't get two lines he or she can just go back to his house and chill mm. Mm. and it's a very quick way to do it as well right yeah it's a rapid method and that that's the unique feature of this test because it's really rapid around 15 to 30 minutes that's amazing can, yeah so right now we have the pcr that's the only test that is available pcr or the polymerase chain reaction which detects the dna of the virus right that's uh that's a kind of a expensive test mm. and it takes a lot of expertise to do that and it takes more time a lot more time mm. around around an hour at least okay so our test that we developed you know can is much easier mm-hmm. much quicker much simpler to use and it tests on blood mm-hmm. so it's much safer right. for the people right uh, for the people collecting the blood But for the PCR, they have to collect the the cough secretions and the sputum. So the person collecting can get infected. So this test we uh, had in mind to do a screening. Uh, I mean to use it as a screening test. So I hope we get much better results with bigger. Uh, bigger sample sizes with more patients and more uh, more serum from different patients so that we can exactly find the accuracy of the test as of now it's working good wow i am looking forward to some future practical applications with that yeah yeah okay so uh, last few questions what do you think that coronavirus will be like in the future like uh do you think the people the deaths will stop increasing in a way uh like maybe right yes now. maybe yes uh if we take from the evolutionary perspective a virus will try to achieve a kind of a coexistence with the host it stop killing so maybe in the future the virus can become less virulent mm. um and then as we have seen with the seasonal influenza you can see the virus comes only during specific seasons during the cold climates right. um so maybe this coronavirus can become a seasonal infection it can uh, cause many infections during a particular season and die down uh, during other seasons right. so it can come in like cycles uh, annual cycles mm. okay some very interesting data we're just coming up on time is there anything that you want to add that you want to get across to the audience about anything with the coronavirus Uh, obviously following something like a normal cough etiquette is very important uh, stay away from sick people uh, and, and don't panic mm. and don't fall for misinformation okay and uh, yeah 
<laughs> what else? What else? What else? I think um, I think we have covered most of the topics. Yeah, thank you. And where can people follow up on your work? What if people, <laughs> as you know, <laughs> you study something? Uh, usually, you study uh, the H, uh, HIV, right? HIV. What if people want to maybe read up on some of your work? Where can they find it? They can maybe search your name. Yeah, they can search my name, Jeremiah Stanley, and uh, it should come up. Uh, come up. Okay. With, with additional terms of HIV or coronavirus, Google search Jeremiah Stanley HIV or Jeremiah Stanley coronavirus. You might be getting, uh, you will be getting those articles. Yeah. Okay. And what if people want to ask you questions? Can I link your email in the description or? Yeah, sure. I'll just share you my email. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, bring the question. <laughs> He might get back to you. Well, thank you very much for some valuable information, Jerry. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you. It was really nice speaking with you. And I hope it's useful to the audience that you cater. Okay, definitely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions on what guests to have on the show or even topics that you would like me to discuss, feel free to message me on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Just search Barbell Radio in one word and you should be able to find us there. Now, quick shout out to Adapt Inc. who had helped me produce this episode. Adapt is a consulting company that strives to make tourism easier in Japan. If you want to know more, they are on social media as Adapt Inc. in one word. Okie dokie, that's it for today. Have a nice day and see you next week.